Hi, and welcome to Do La La, the podcast. With me, Leanne from Birthhood, and Meg from Birth Evolution. We are both birth and postnatal doulas with over 12 years experience supporting people through pregnancy, birth, and the postnatal period. In this podcast, we'll be taking a deep dive into birth in a relaxed and informal space, bringing you knowledge, experience, and tips in a way that supports you, whether you are pregnant, working in the birth world, or just a birth nerd like us. We'll be leaving no stone unturned with our unfiltered approach to conversation about birth and can't wait for you to join us. All opinions are of course our own and our experiences and discussions in no way constitute medical advice. Hi guys and welcome to our latest episode of Do La La, the podcast with me Leanne from Birthhood. And me Meg from Birth Evolution, hello. Hey. So today our episode is focused around VBACs, which is vaginal birth after cesarean. And to kind of give you a bit more of an in-depth overview of this topic, we've got a lovely guest today. So we've got Lucy from VBAC Hypnobirthing. Hi, Lucy. Hello. And Lucy's going to give us a little bit of an overview of who she is um, and what's kind of led her to this wonderful role that she does so I'm going to hand over to you Lucy to do a brief introduction and then we'll get going yeah cool so yeah I'm Lucy I am Viva Birthing um yeah I um I started this last year and um I really really want to help um not only first-time parents um you know get the birth that they want but I also want to get to make sure that um parents who have had a previous cesarean section also get the birth that they want um so yeah it's not just a, not just about um a VBAC um it's whatever the parent or the birther wants rather than um being really prescriptive around that VBAC does that make sense yeah totally so to to kind of give uh our listeners a little bit of an overview your first birth was a cesarean birth so would you like to give us a little bit of an overview of so that? I, yeah yeah sorry interrupting you there um so my first birth was an unplanned cesarean section or as it's written down in my notes an emergency cesarean section <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so I actually planned for a home birth originally um but what I did find as a first-time parent is that I ended up having intervention after intervention and um I had a pretty tough time of it um ended up in hospital and yeah ended up having an emergency c-section so um yeah not only having that birthing experience but then having that hospital experience um so I was in hospital for a week afterwards as well which um if you've had um, any sort of birth trauma or just a negative experience is not something that um, most people would want. And I certainly didn't want that. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So, yeah, how I felt after that birth was fairly negative. I was having quite a tough time postpartum as well, just trying to understand what happened there. And I ended up doing a um, birth debrief with the NHS six weeks after um, uh, after I gave birth to Bertie, um, which I know is sometimes it's a 
it's quite soon after but I just I couldn't get my head around what had happened yeah so I, I started doing the work really as soon as I, I could um, just to try and get my, my brain unscrambled because <laughs> that's what it can feel like is, yeah. you know, you feel um, there's, yeah, just a lot of emotion around your, your birth and your experience. Um, so at this point, though, this wasn't necessarily at this point looking to looking future for anything. This was just dealing with what had come before. Well, it, you, weren't, you weren't looking forward to a, another baby at this point in terms of prepping for another birth? No, so I wasn't prepping for another birth. I was just trying to get my um, head straight. But it's really interesting when I did the um, birth debrief, one of the questions that I asked was, um, could I have done this vaginally? And of course, you know, with the NHS, there's a there's an element of protection there. Um, but going through my notes, um, really, I, I could have done it. And actually, whilst there was um, an element of anger there, there was an element of relief. And that was the spark, I think, that later on, obviously, I didn't know that at the time. But like six months down the line, I was just like, actually, if we have another one, I would like to do it this way. Just do you being think... So, so do you think it was like a realisation for you that it wasn't your body that failed? It was like the system and the intervention that the interference that what kind of had that negative impact on your ability to continue. And then maybe possibly the decisions made because of that, that led to, the, to those feelings. Yeah, it's um, it was a really interesting debrief. So... Um... Obviously, it was intervention after intervention that it 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 wasn't me at all. Yeah. But what was really interesting was the feeling around it came from the failure to progress that you sign when well that I signed when I had the cesarean section, and that was the absolute moment that changed. I was having a hard time up until that point during the labour. But that moment, it really sticks out in my mind. I'm actually getting goosebumps now talking about it. Using the word failure to progress, when actually it was a failure of all the interventions. Yes. But it's that wording around it. And I'm so, so um, passionate about that language that we use um, because it felt like that they weren't taking any responsibility for actually what they did to me. Yeah. Um, and it takes quite a lot of unpacking when we're looking at our previous um, birth um, experience, especially if it's a negative one, because we we automatically blame ourselves. Oh, it must have been my fault. I, I shouldn't have accepted those interventions when actually they're the ex, ultimately they're the expert. We do trust them. And, you know, I think people should trust their healthcare providers but their risk factors are not the same as our risk factors are they no and another thing that I found really interesting was that the when I went through the notes um the, which also made me think that I might want a v-back was when we were going through them and um one of the um reasons for having a cesarean section is because they told me that Bertie had come out of my pelvis now, as a first time 
parent, that is so disheartening to hear. But of course it can happen because babies moving around trying to get a better position. And of course I was in that Hollywood style position, <laughs> you know, not making it easy for myself because I just had an epidural. But it was interesting when in the notes that it was actually a really tricky C-section and that the baby's head was too far down in my pelvis. So that's another thing being just like, oh, well, maybe if I'd waited another hour, you know, I might have had a vaginal birth rather than a cesarean section. So it was a, a really good thing for me to have it that early on because it was a bit more clarity or yes it was clarity that it actually wasn't it wasn't on me it yeah. was and also that it's... a possibility that I could do it yeah and I think that I think that's a, a really good comment to make because we ultimately we're the ones that are going to harbor that those feelings um and we feel responsible but actually there are very, there are often times where we need to let go of that responsibility and kind of go actually this I wasn't at fault here I didn't do and it wasn't failure to progress it was failure to wait on their part which was put onto you um and obviously there's lots of reasons why people opt for cesareans generally but in that kind of situation when it becomes an emergency slash unplanned actually when you look back it gives you that kind of headspace and realization that you can't you couldn't have made any other decisions probably in that moment because of how vulnerable you were made to feel and actually now you've got that headspace to go okay in a different time I can make changes and these are the changes that I would make so is that do you think what led you to then plan for that vaginal birth um second time around yeah and that I'm really stubborn mm. <laughs> I think that's <clears throat> a lot of it is um an element of stubbornness just being like well I I won't let that happen to me again I I want to make sure that I I want to I want to feel a certain way about the birth and I do not want to feel that way again yeah so um when I was planning for my VBAC I made certain choices so my choices were to have a, a VBAC. Um, I actually planned to have a home VBAC or a cesarean section. Because I'd had such a negative experience with um, interventions, I just cut them out straight away. I was just like, I'm not, I'm not putting myself through, I'm not putting my body through that. And of course, looking at the evidence, spent quite some time <laughs> looking at um and making that decision to take away those interventions was really, really empowering for me. Um, yeah, and that was even before I got pregnant, to be honest with you. <laughs> because, I, because I was so um, in my head still, even after the six weeks, it just doesn't go, does it? It, it, it still stays with you. I mean, it stays with me still now, and it's almost five years later. Um, I'm oh, sorry, I've got my train of thought. <laughs> so we all, we all do that. Why, why... <laughs> this is what happens when you have kids, though, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> why you wanted to have a VBAC, so you'd said about um, not wanting to feel... Yeah, yeah. So 
so yeah it was it was really about that feeling that I wanted to um it wasn't that I had a, an expectation of a feeling I just knew what feelings I didn't want and I think that can be just as powerful as like an expectation of a good thing does that yeah. make sense yeah totally makes sense. yeah so when you you'd made that decision actually said so before you got pregnant that when you had another baby when you got pregnant again you were going to work towards the the plan of having a vaginal birth after cesarean once you were pregnant what did that look like like how how did you how does anybody prepare for a v-back so when they've already had a cesarean, at least one cesarean experience how do you go about getting yourself to a point where you feel ready to have so, that, that different experience so I did a few things hypnobirthing one of them one of them yeah um but actually I, I made sure that I was physically like I felt physically ready does that make sense so I did work out um just even making sure that that my body was in the best state that it possibly could be um so when I say that I did the work I did the work like I did <laughs> physically I I read up on stuff I did hypnobirthing I made sure that my partner my husband was on board with every decision that I was making now whilst I appreciate that they they don't have to be on board it just makes it so much easier was he um, on board he he was on board but so my husband's a nurse ah <laughs> yeah so that added an, an element in that we had to sort of rework um, yeah. and actually that's where the hypnobirthing really came into play because because it was talking quite sciencey that made him understand a bit more um, and actually, I think that he's taken a little bit of that into his practice, which is fantastic. <laughs> um, but yeah, he was on board with with everything. I mean, he he had a traumatic experience as well. You know, let's not forget about the birth partners. Their experience matters too. Um, and they are not in a fit state to help you either in birth or postpartum if they're triggered and trauma traumatized you know so did, he, did I mean did he I'm assuming he attended the hit and the birthing stuff with you so like did he do work did he obviously it wasn't his body that was getting prepared but do you think yeah. that he the, that he and therefore actually the partner of somebody else who is planning a v-back there's work to be done on their part as well absolutely yeah so I found it actually really quite difficult to get him to admit that he um, had birth trauma. Because I feel like there's, especially with um, sort of male birth partners, I would say, and I hate to generalise like this, but there is that whole sort of, I don't want to say toxic masculinity, but there is an element of him not wanting to seem weak or... Um, that that's it stigma. Him. Say that again. It's, it's a stigma, isn't it? It's yeah. that stigma of of it's like the whole like men can't get to postnatal depression. It, it's that it, it's that 
yeah, it, I think it is an element of toxic masculinity, to be honest. I think you're right there. I but also it... that um, fa- failure again, that they didn't, you know, that the protector person ultimately couldn't protect to the nth degree. They Their role as protector, as, the, you know, we, that's traditionally, stereotypically, whatever, they couldn't do that and that that's huge to carry when society has told you and taught you you must must protect wife (laughs) yeah I think it was really tough for him like and I think he actually did have postnatal depression um of course at the time I couldn't recognize it because of my own Mm. um and it was really interesting with our second birth because he he admitted he was just like, ah, okay, this is what it's supposed to be like. Yeah, I was in a really bad place with the first one. Wow. It was really interesting, that contrast, and actually how different we felt about the birth. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, so he did do, bless him, <laughs> he did do a lot of work. Um, And yeah, he was, he was game for everything. Because again, he didn't want to, you know, have that repeat experience. So... So you did hypnobirthing. Did hypnobirthing. Sort of look to your physical body in terms of getting yourself to a place where you felt, what do you mean fitter, healthier? Yeah. And I guess it's quite a lot of um, mentality to go with that. But if I felt like I was strong, physically stronger, I felt mentally stronger as well. Um, Because, you know, giving birth is a very physical thing, isn't it? So feeling like okay yeah I could I could hold a squat for a a long time if I needed to or if I wanted to you know that gives you a bit of a oh yeah okay I've got another step going you know it it's just keeping that motivation going and that belief that you can do it because having an unplanned cesarean section this might not apply to everyone but it certainly did for me that um my my body failed me and you know that uh, that that failure element you've got to keep yourself bigged up because you're you've got to keep the belief that you can do it because of that negative you know you're counteracting a, a personal negative experience um so yeah I I spent a lot of time bigging myself up <laughs> like I can do it I can do it deserved mm-hmm. what about information wise so and obviously that would come as part of your hypnobirthing I assume but did you feel you needed to get any particular knowledge did you feel you needed to research anything in particular to prepare did you do any kind of informational work absolutely yeah so um I did do quite a lot now I do say this to my clients quite a lot you don't have to make informed decisions you can just make decisions and they should that should be respected I found it really helpful to have the stats to back me up because I did face quite a lot of challenges even though I had no other sort of contraindications for a VBAC Mm -hmm. I still had quite a lot of challenges um coming from my healthcare provider um yeah so of course I looked at uterine rupture which was you know it's the biggest risk fact I say biggest not as in like the actual um 
not the uterine rupture is the biggest risk, but the, the the biggest risk factor that is discussed. So it's you know the dis biggest discussion point is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Didn't articulate. No, it's no, it's totally fair because we it's really hard to get the right language because this stuff is thrown out in such a way that it's difficult to put it into perspective, isn't it? Like we talk about this stuff all the time as birth workers, but we already know we take certain things with a pinch of salt or we use a certain word, even though we know there's way more nuance to it. But for somebody out there who's planning a VBAC or even just considering it, who then gets thrown this information about uterine rupture, which sounds horrific. Yeah. And if someone says there's a large risk, big risk, any of those phraseologies, you that it's it sounds very very terrifying yeah it's going back to that language piece again isn't it you know that failure to progress that it doubles your chances of or doubles your risk of doing this or it's a large risk it's mm -hmm. it's how things are presented to you and how you then feel about what is being presented and that is definitely the case when you're planning for a VBAC and things to consider and to potentially arm yourself against um yeah. And that's not to say to, to not trust what your healthcare provider is saying. It's just to understand um, the language that they might use around whatever it is that they're talking about. And, you know, you can always say to people um, or say to consultants, midwives, OK, um, can you just write that down for me? I would like to go away and do a bit of research on this particular thing that you're talking about, because I don't know anything about it. Um, yeah. And, you know, you don't have enough time with your midwives to, mm -hmm. to discuss it in depth, to, to, to put you at ease. And also, you know, midwives and consultants, they're following policies and guidelines that they don't actually apply to you. They apply to them, don't they? Yeah. As we all know. <laughs> you know, they, when they sign their contract with their trust, those, they're adhering to those policies and guidelines. But you don't, you don't have to do that. So and I think the, the thing when it comes to like uterine rupture, it is like it is labelled as one of the biggest risks and risk factors for a VBAC and something that we should all really strongly consider. But let's lay it out really quick. The chance of VBAC, of uterine rupture with a VBAC is really quite small. Um, and I think when you then have that labelled out, that's that is um. But haven't no not many people do have that labelled clearly for what the risks actually are. So no. Mm unless you are explicitly told that or you know where to find that information, you're not making a decision that's balanced because you go, there's a chance that your uterus could rupture and it's really big chance and it's really life-threatening, blah, blah, blah. You're going to go, right, I'm not going to take that risk. Actually, mm -hmm. your uterus could still rupture with a cesarean. Yeah. And I think also, you know, so we use that 0.5% with um, uterine rupture, but that isn't a catastrophic uterine rupture. It's, there's two separate... Mm -hmm. um but you call them uterine ruptures but it's a uterine uterine dehiscence is that dehiscence yeah. i call it dehiscence but i'm not sure it is That's um, <laughs> um which is not catastrophic yeah it's lumped into the same you when yeah. a, and if it's, it's a healthcare provider says uterine rupture they are they're using that as an umbrella term for any tissue separation right any thinning of tissue that may never reach rupture may never ever create any problem whatsoever but it's all so the stats that apply that the stats that are linked to the word uterine rupture also refer to that stuff right yeah 
yeah and there's absolutely no way of separating those out mm. um just from the information that we've got you know um <clears throat> and it has to be said that the uterine dehiscence is the most common one so i mean we're even looking it's not even like a 50 50 split it's we're looking at even you know smaller percentage um but the thing but, that you're saying man, about stats and stuff and that you're saying as well lucy about finding out digging deeper into stats is if i am somebody who doesn't know wider information and a healthcare provider says to me which they will the standard there is a one in 200 chance of uterine rupture which is what they will always say so aside from what we've just said about the fact that what they mean by uterine rupture has so much more nuance to it the one in 200 if i've so before we even dissect that the fact that they have just given me that stat the worrying thing is why would i need to go away and research where i wouldn't have a clue where to start mm. when they've given me the stat so when everyone's saying to me you must find out the actual information find out the data find out the statistics so you can balance your decision making as far as i'm concerned my consultant has just given me the information that people are telling me i need so i walk away with that as like okay that's the information i need but as we all know <laughs> that stat again is not necessarily relevant to me at all which is what's really worrying that people get that confidence that they've been given data but the data they've been given isn't accurate and i find I that think, i think what's difficult is when we are given statistics say that one in 200 we're given it in isolation as well yeah. so if someone say you know that one in 200 chance to me just on its own I'm just like oh, actually you know that is something that I do need to consider the reason I sort of ended up looking at it um probably from a different perspective and actually going off to do that research was because I felt that the risk of going into hospital for me was massive compared to that one in 200 I yeah. felt the, the risks to you by being in hospital, there was greater risk to you of other things happening. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's really tricky because we're given the risk in isolation, but actually there are so many other things to consider. Does that, do you know what I mean? No, it does. What I'm, if only we had risk of uterine rupture in a planned home birth, risk of uterine rupture when you choose to birth in a birth center, risk of uterine rupture when like, some of those we have. So risk of uterine rupture in an induced labor, significantly higher. We don't have risk of uterine rupture when the intended VBAC is at home. I'm assuming no, we don't have that information. So you can't separate no, it out. But I suppose we can look at it from a different perspective as looking at the spontaneous labor of, um, you know, the chances of you going into a spontaneous labor, having a home birth and yeah. then a spontaneous labor uterine rupture risk, which is a lot, lot lower. It's like 0.15% to, yeah. I think it's 0.3%. So there is definitely ways to reduce it. And again, we're not told about that in our consultations with our midwives or consultants. Um, Yeah, so it's, again, putting that, that number into perspective and looking at it with other risks as well you know mm -hmm. it's 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 really tricky having those conversations with um your healthcare provider 
I certainly struggled with it. Um, <clears throat> I actually decided not to have a consultant um, led care, which they were not happy about. <laughs> I was just going to say to you, what were any other, you mentioned about sort of the uterine rupture risk. I was going to say to you, what were any other challenges were you? So the place you chose or the options you were given for place of birth, that was a challenge as well. Yeah, massively challenging. Um, and actually it's what led me to get a doula. Um, so I decided not to have um, consultant care. So for those who are considering having a VBAC um, or just having another baby in general, um, you'll be considered high risk after your cesarean section, even if you've already had a VBAC. It, yeah, uh, it's... If you, so if you were to have another baby... So you've had a cesarean, an unplanned cesarean, you've had a VBAC. If you were to get pregnant again and plan another VBAC, you would still maintain the high risk status from the first cesarean. Yeah. yeah. Even though there is a reduction in the risk of a uterine rupture, I'd still be labelled as high risk, okay. which is bananas to me. <laughs> and then and imagine... Sure based on that would match the same as when you had your first VBAC. Like there's... As in you may as well literally be on the first birth after your cesarean as far as they're concerned in terms of risk factor doesn't matter yeah and then imagine you are going in with other risk factors that are going to be impacting so whether that is high bmi or um big baby small but all these things that are geriatric geriatric yeah, yeah. gestational diabetes anything that you are yeah. labeled and again, not looking at that in an individualized, individualized level and instead blanket caring those risks and then suggesting that your place of birth is safest to be in a hospital setting where they can monitor you and intervene because all these risks are adding up. When actually, as you literally just so clearly explained, when you are not breaking down the risks specifically in the first place, those risks adding up, it's, it's, not, actually, it's not accurate. And therefore, no, people are making, yeah, and it doesn't, so therefore, how many people are making choices that on um, information that actually is irrelevant because it doesn't apply to yeah. them when you've actually broken down the statistics? Yeah. It's, it's, it is worrying. I suppose that was that one of the things that led you to hiring a doula, do you think, just to have that extra support? So, uh, yes, it was. So, with the consultants, and this, I'm not trying to scare people at all, um, but so I declined consultant care. I agreed to have um, a call with, you know, like one of the special midwives. I can't, I can't remember what they're called. Midwives, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And <clears throat> I said, you know, I explained everything. I had my statistics. I actually felt like I knew more than she did. Um, and uh, finished the, you know, coming to the end of the call and she said, okay, right, well, I need to just chat with the consultant to um, talk through this. I said, I'm not really, I'm really confused, sorry. I've just said I'm going to decline consultant care. So why are they getting involved with my care? She she was just like, well, I just have to. That's just the policy of the hospital, the trust. And I was just like, well, you can talk to them, but I'm not talking to them. <laughs> you know, I don't want them as part of my care team. Um, anyway, she phoned me back and they've said, oh, yeah, the consultant said that they're OK to sign this off. <laughs> Honestly, I'm so pleased that I stood up for myself and I said, I don't need them to sign off. To be clear, 
I'm doing this whether you, you agree with it or not. Yeah. I think that really took her by surprise. And I didn't want to get angry with her. You know, she's just doing her job. But ultimately, you know, I can do whatever I want. <laughs> I think that's really important, though. If we just look at this from an advocacy perspective, you didn't, even if it's their policy, they've got whatever they need to do. But you didn't need to necessarily add on that bit about just to let you know I don't need you to sign me off but it's really important I think that this is if you feel able to if you feel confident enough to say that it's really important that care providers hear it Absolutely. as a reminder to them that there is a person who is pregnant in front of them on the phone reminding them that's great fine I'm, you, I'm glad you needed to do that but you didn't I didn't need you to do that mm -hmm. and I think there's something so powerful for you and for the person hearing what you just said because like you said it took her by surprise mm -hmm. and that is worrying that <laughs> not that you it's not worrying that you decline something like that's great mm -hmm. that's fine and it's not worrying if you consent to something either what's worrying is that if somebody declines something that that could be a shock mm -hmm. Because yeah. in anything we're offered in birth, there should never, ever be a 100% take-up rate of anything. If there is a 100% take-up rate of anything, there's a problem because, sorry, somebody's circumstances are going to mean that that, that option is not okay. So that can't be the desirable. So being shocked at someone declining something, how is that? I just, I, it blows my mind that that can be shocking. Yeah, and so- Well done. The advocacy part as well is something that you do really need to work, like, especially if you've had, say, the experience that I had where I just, I accepted everything because I didn't, I didn't know better. Um, and that's also something that you do have to unpack, you know, you have to take accountability for yourself. Like, you can do all this work, but if you're not going to advocate for yourself and get your birth partner to advocate for you, then it's going to be a lot harder to, you know, to, to get your V back. Um, what was really interesting is that I then still got three, three phone calls from the consultants trying to intervene in my care. So bear in mind, I have no other risk factors. A shocked and frustrated sweary face. <laughs> three phone calls. Three phone calls. Um, so yeah, bear in mind, I don't, I don't have, an, I didn't have any other risk factors, you know, or what they would consider yeah. risk factors. So it was just that I'd had a previous cesarean section. So, I mean, that's kind of why I wanted to do what I'm doing because imagine if someone does have those additional, sorry, I'm doing quotes here, um, <laughs> additional risk factors, or you know, what they consider as additional risk factors. You know, it makes it harder to advocate for yourself for sure. I also got a uh, a letter from the consultant and it was not a nice letter. I've got a picture of it somewhere because I was so outraged. I couldn't- What was the general vibe of the letter, the purpose of the letter? You're putting yourself and your baby in danger. If you give birth at home, you need to be giving birth in the hospital environment. And this is after you have clearly stated, I'm informed, this is my decision. Yeah. I I don't want consultant led care. Yeah. Which yeah. she actually yeah, said shocking. a bit later on. Yeah. Yeah. And considering, you know, like I said, I didn't have any 
additional what they would perceive as risk factors. So like you said, can you imagine if I had a higher BMI or <laughs> big baby? Um, <laughs> I hate, I hate that because the big baby is what started the whole thing off with my first, <laughs> my first yeah. birth. Um, Just the undermining of your ability to be an adult, an informed, autonomous adult. And also um, you don't have to be informed. No, like, no, like, no. Like, you, you can make these decisions yeah. without having all of that. I felt confident because I was informed, but, yeah. but it, I, I, don't, I wasn't trying to um, be anti what you're saying. But yeah, no. I'm just trying to say to people, you don't have to do all that research. You can just make decisions and it should be respected. And shouldn't ever have to deal with multiple phone calls and a strongly worded letter trying to persuade you in any direction. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's coercion, right? Yeah. You're 100%. Digging. And that is when I made the decision to um, hire a doula. Okay. To, to help, because I, I just thought, I can't have this in my birthing space. You're a baby. You're trying to, all of your physical energy is going into trying to make make parts of a baby inside your body. You're tired. You've got another child. I, I can see Leanne's face. It's, it's human. <laughs> it just, why are, we doing, why are we doing this to people for an, for a motive that somebody else is? Because the mental health, the, the well-being of somebody who is trying to go through this decision-making process is just not considered yeah. at all. It's really, it's really tough. And I think if I wasn't so stubborn... <laughs> Like, I honestly think that, you know, how I, you know, got to the VBAC was, was actual stubbornness, just being like, you will not defeat me. Even if I have a cesarean section, that is on me. I am making that decision. You know, it's, this is nothing to do with you. You're just there to support me. And I really, really had that mentality going into my second birth. I think that's a really powerful thing. I love I agree, you. like, yeah. Oh, I think we were both going to say the same thing then, Meg. Like, that is, that's exactly the mindset that you you need to have. Like, stubbornness is seen as something that um, we shouldn't take into a birth space often because it leads us to things. But it's not. It's not stubbornness to um, kind of change our mind. It's stubbornness in the fact that we are our own entity. Yeah. That's the stubbornness that we're taking in, in terms of I am myself and I get to choose what I want for my birth, um, informed or not, as you've said. Um, but that headspace, that that mindset work is a bloody graft, isn't it? Like, let's let's be honest, you have to work hard to get that mindset. But but unfortunately, in order to sometimes achieve that feedback, especially is you are that mindset is needed in order to keep that keep your focus going the um, accusations you will also get so you're saying about how stubborn you are and you'll get people possibly or somebody who has that mentality may well get people probably members of their own family saying things like don't let stubbornness put you in danger don't let being stubborn be the reason why there's this, this outcome there is a big difference between being so stubborn that it's reckless and dangerous and being stubborn that actually you're not it's almost not stubbornness, is it? It's simply asserting your rights. And definitely, yeah, that's definitely if something word. you're not you're making a decision to have a VBAC on your terms just because you can, 
you're doing it because it's important to you and you know why you need it. And if anything was to give you an indication that your baby was in any danger or that you were in any danger, you would be open to having those conversations that your, your birth path now takes a different direction. And that's cool too. That's okay too, that this perception that somebody who is really um, so empowered to make decisions that are outside of guidelines are deemed to be reckless or dangerous is it's really not okay because it's effectively accusing somebody of of being dangerous and being potentially causing damage to themselves or their baby which but then if you put that on the flip we're not well we are we are but um how, how many people then wouldn't accuse healthcare providers for doing the same when they are recklessly giving incorrect information that forces you to make decisions or sometimes don't you don't even get to make the decisions it's taken out of your hands which lead to negative outcomes whether that is kind of adverse for you or baby or even just that or even it's not just birth trauma let's be honest but like that birth trauma that you that lots of people carry after these sorts of experiences they the the responsibility still is always on you but you're not the one that's been taken down that path that's led you there you like it's that coercion along the way and again you're not you yeah I don't I it feels sometimes like you can't win you assert yourself and you, you get challenged and then you don't assert yourself and you go along with things and you come out like the other end damaged anyway damaged anyway it's it, it this is why I think having well just having these sorts of conversations and discussions are really important because this is your experience Lucy like this is this isn't us just sitting here hypothesizing about um situations this is you going I went through this this was my experience and these are the actions that I took in order to try and get a bit more control over my experiences um and ultimately have the outcome that I knew I was actually able to have and I should have probably had in the first place had I not been led down a path by yeah I think it's difficult as well so if we go back to that language of that failure you know and I think if we take that into our next birth there might be that oh well I'm not gonna be able to do it anyway and we then get the healthcare professionals to lead again so Mm -hmm. it it's almost like a a cycle um like a self-fulfilling prophecy isn't it yeah yeah anyway Interestingly, I was, um, I'd written down in terms of questions to ask you, challenges, question mark. I was, I suppose I was sort of hoping as you'd be like, you know what, they were really great. And they just, well, as soon as I requested a back, they were all for it. And <laughs> and I I think there will be people who have had that experience where oh, they requested back and they've got support and nobody kind of, there's the usual risk factors proposed and they discuss it and there's a, they feel absolutely supported and this circumstance of yours may feel unfamiliar to them and that's really great but I think hearing you is really important for people to realize it may be a a battle and actually what because obviously I speak to quite a lot of VBAC birthers um, especially beforehand and what I have noticed again this is not everyone and of course if you've got a supportive team that's fantastic you know that's what we want like we're not against that at all um but what I'm finding is that we have a really lovely supportive team until we get to 38 weeks 
and then they start with well why don't we just try a stretch and sweep or oh we just noticed that you know your blood pressure is slightly slightly down or you know all these things which yes might be indications of things but as soon as like something slightly happens they they almost go into panic mode as healthcare providers go into panic mode and just offer you everything and then again we're going back to that language if you're already feeling like you might have failed the first time it can be really disheartening to be like oh well now you've actually got an additional risk factor mm-hmm. at this point you know so it's it might you know i, I had it throughout my whole thing so i was able to build up a barrier you know yeah. and i was declining things i was declining interventions and you know, because we we think of interventions as just being stretches and sweeps and whatever, but it's also growth scans. It's also, you know, checking your weight. I'm trying to think of them now and I've completely gone out of my head. But... I mean, arguably, intervention is peeing in a pot, isn't it, really? Yeah. It's... Yeah. yeah. So that's really interesting that you, you, you built up a sort of resilience, maybe, because you were faced with this throughout. So you were almost expecting the obstacles absolutely was, but actually yeah. you could be led into a false sense of security feeling really supported and then get really thrown by something happening at a much later gestation and that then tipping things yeah and it's it's such a vulnerable place to be in um I mean just as a birther generally speaking as soon as you start to get into that full term you are a lot more vulnerable and I think that's something that we don't like to admit um but we, but you are, and I, I was for sure. But like I said, I felt like I had built myself up, and I was, I was expecting things. I put things in place, like getting a doula, making sure my birth partner was like a hundred percent on, excuse me, on board with what we wanted, and I was able to, because I'd had a bit of practice, able to advocate for myself. But if you haven't had to do that to this point, it can really throw you and it can really throw your mentality. And I mean, we all know how powerful the brain is when it comes to birth. So it is just something, again, that we need to be mindful of, that it can happen at any point, even if you've got a lovely team. It's not fair. That This is what frustrates me. And this is this is just not, not that is not okay. Like, um well this is this is one of the reasons why I do my job and I'm sure and you do your job and Meg does her job because we're sitting here and I'm just like listening and like internally weeping I guess of the, uh, because it's like it's made my heart really hurt because it is that you're in a vulnerable place and it's a bit like okay we know she's a bit vulnerable now so let's hit her where and I know I'm not saying that is the mentality, but that's what it feels like, doesn't it? Because they know because you know that they know they know you know they know. Um <laughs> I have to get a little friends reference in, don't I? Um always. but yeah, always. Um but yeah, that that it, it, oh I can't I can't even articulate, but I think you all no. know what I'm on about. It's just not it's just not okay. Um and it does it it does make me sad. Because like I'm, I am. I supported a V back last year, and I'm supporting two V backs in the next couple coming months, which is brilliant. Um, and 
and I I hate that I'm having to have these conversations of really kind of going look we've got to build this power we've got to build this resilience you are going to get hit with this and that and the other but remember it's not that's not um always factually correct and it's blanket care and it might not be specific to you so but it's going to get in your head if we don't reframe if we don't do the work and I'm thinking like you're already having to do a bit of work anyway because you know you're planning for something that's that would potentially be what most people are planning anyway like a vaginal birth most most people would go in because you've had a previous cesarean that mindset of failure is is a little bit higher because you might have feel felt like you failed last time which again we know most of the time that is not true um so you've already got that and then you're having to build on that again in order to prepare for this birth when actually this birth any birth is sacred and we should be allowing that sacred bonding um being built without having that pressure um and i suppose as a as a doula that's where and again that's probably why you went into birth work as well lucy is because you have i have that need to safeguard and to protect and mother and all those feelings so that just take it will take a little bit of that pressure that you're feeling off you but not everyone has that opportunity to to have a dealer and things like that so what would you say your like top tips would be in terms of kind of um I hate the word successful feedback <laughs> Meg and I talked about this before it's not um it, it's a, a really nuanced sentence I guess isn't it um it's not it's not but... even about it's not of course a VBAC if that is what you're wanting that is your sort of end goal for want of a better phrase but it's it's then if you get into a situation where you need to make a decision of to have a c-section it's making sure that that feels like the right decision for you isn't it so it's not about being having a successful VBAC it's having that empowerment and that positive healing experience is that what yes. you're trying to yes so like if you had a top five things if somebody was now listening to this who'd had a cesarean and was planning a pregnancy or was pregnant what would you so i always suggest having to go back and look at your previous birthing experience Mm -hmm. i think that is really key and understanding what happened um even if you had a planned cesarean section you know go back have a look at that what led you to that decision and try and figure out how you want to feel for your next one and what you want to experience for your next one I think that's really important and understanding your triggers so for me one of my triggers was stretches and sweeps and vaginal examinations I knew that that is not what I wanted that's the reason that I had to stay in hospital for a week after birth because both of myself and my baby had an infection so I knew that that is something that I didn't want to have and then it makes it really e- not easy I don't mean it that way. it makes it really clear on what you want to plan for your next birth you can make some really clear decisions and just like really cutthroat decisions to build start building your plan back up mm-hmm. and yet plan is probably my second thing is um 
planning doesn't mean that it's going to be the perfect birth because that doesn't exist. Um, but a plan means that you've, um, we, I'm sure we all talk about plans when we talk about <laughs> talking to our clients, um, but plans can change. And plans mean that you've thought about scenarios, what might occur and how you might handle that situation, both you, birth partner, with your birth team, whoever it is getting informed now I know I said that um it's like my third point sorry uh, getting informed whereas I know I said that you don't have to be informed to make a decision and that absolutely stands it can really help it really helped me I I loved being able to go back when I was having conversations with um, midwives and unfortunately <laughs> from in my case consultants um I would also just put in here that we talk about consultants, but they're not always consultants. They are um, registrars or, you know, junior, is it junior doctors, house doctors? Yeah. So that also is is important to to point out, just because we always think that we're getting the, the highest level of doctor when not necessarily that's the case. And that's not to, um, can I swear on here? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> to shit on doctors at all and I don't want people to think that I shit on healthcare providers at all um but that is just something I wanted to to talk about um but yeah getting informed can really really help um to just back up what you're saying because it can just shut down a conversation yeah. which can be really helpful because going over the same thing is is draining on your you know draining for you for your mental health it's hard work having those conversations and you're more likely to give in if you're having to repeat the same conversation get support so yeah make sure your birth team is on board i am a massive advocate for doulas and the reason i like doulas so much is because they allow you to have that continuity of care and you get to know them like quite well and they can really understand what it is that you're after after you you know during your birth um you've got two doulas here smiling very good <laughs> 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 are amazing <laughs> but yes, yeah, we are. <laughs> I, I honestly rate them they are worth their weight in gold if you can afford one I would I would recommend it you know you get that continuity of care I saw so many midwives throughout my pregnancy both times um and it's hard to then feel safe and we all know that feeling safe during birth is a major player yeah. but it you know it can feel quite hard to feel safe when you're not see you know you're not seeing the same person every time and even during labor you might have some you know one midwife to start off with and then they're clocking off and then a new midwife comes on you know, having someone in your birth space that allows you to just have that continuity, you know them and you feel safe with them, it, it can make such a difference. And I think my last one is plan for a C-section. <laughs> yeah, okay. Which I know if you're saying I want to plan for a V-back sounds a bit counterintuitive, but planning for a C-section gives you so much power back that if a c-section does happen if you have made the decision to have a c-section either before you go into labor or during labor 
you don't feel like you've failed because you've already got that plan in place. And you can do some really lovely things during that C-section. You can have a lovely gentle or a more natural C-section. Um, and that can completely change the dynamic of how you feel about that birth. Um, and don't be afraid to take out some of those things like interventions or, um, you know, inductions, things like that. Um, of course, if you want to put those in, you're absolutely within your rights to, but um, you don't have to accept everything, you know? Thank you so much. That is an epic list. So you said top five tips for planning a VBAC is one, go back and return to reflect on the birth that you had before. So that cesarean birth, whether that's a, a formal debrief or whether that's a something with the NHS whether that's a private debrief whether that's just accessing your notes but looking at how you want to feel as a result of what you now know from that first birth number two plan and plan for what if scenarios of what you would do in in a range of different scenarios number three get informed and I would add in there on your terms which I think you would agree with is like get informed to the level you would like to get informed to and that's nobody else's business what level that is but yeah, yeah that's exactly becoming, it. becoming the expert in yourself to whatever yeah. number four you said get support obviously doulas are wonderful human beings um <laughs> but the network that's around you is making sure that you're you've got support from family from partner and then five Yes, we're talking about VBAC, but plan for a cesarean. And actually, I think me, we all, all three of us would agree that that's helpful for any pregnancy is to plan yeah. for a cesarean, not as a manifestation, but as a to, to be in control. Um, yeah. Conscious of time. So what I'd love to finish up with, Lucy, is to find out briefly what what did you get from. So you you had your VBAC, you had a vaginal birth for your second baby what did it give you apart from a baby <laughs> definitely gave you that what what's your second baby called uh, otis so what did otis's birth give you what did it do for you oh my goodness i can't i can't i can't put it fully into words it was so healing and actually, I say that I was bigging myself up, being like, I can do this, blah, 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 blah. I actually didn't believe it until he was in my arms. Mm -hmm. I didn't fully, like, I was just, I, I had him and I was like, oh, I've just done that. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, so I felt very clever. <laughs> <laughs> I just not my, I just feel beaming. I feel like I, I'm, I get really teary when I hear people talking about that, that moment of, I did, I did it. I did it. I did it. Yeah, I couldn't. I, I, I did believe that I could. I like, genuinely, I was piping myself up the whole pregnancy. Um, but yeah, when they're in your arms and you just think, oh my, oh, I just, I'm a goddess. I am so on it. Yeah. No, like I can't. <laughs> this is what I mean. I can't articulate it totally. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 the the recording. People listening to it can't see your face. Like it. It, you can see from your face that's this kind of beaming sense of just you look just incredibly proud but yeah it's something yeah. you can't put into words I was so proud I was so proud of me and my husband you know we worked together as a team um and my postnatal period was 
amazing. I was just like, I just need another baby now. <laughs> Husband <laughs> was just like, absolutely not. <laughs> so your experience postpartum was significantly different as well. So much different. It was, it was, it was lovely. It was really, really lovely. I absolutely loved the newborn phase. Um, it was just, I look back at it, nothing no, like even like the sleeplessness, anything like that. But because I had all my natural hormones going, it felt like I didn't have that massive dip um, afterwards. You know, I it was it was all very gentle. The whole postpartum. Does that make sense? It makes just very gentle. And um, the I didn't space have, is like... just yeah, totally. Sense. <laughs> <laughs> like not to love. I wasn't like super, super teary or um, just feeling like I couldn't cope. I, you know, of course you've got the the hindsight of it being your second birth and you've got things that you, you you're doing differently anyway. Um, but yeah, it was so incredible, even though I had like a two-year-old as well. <laughs> and of course, let's not say that if you, anybody who has a V-back is going to have the, like an idyllic postpartum oh gosh like yeah no but it's so the that it's so so helpful shall I say to really see how different birth experiences inherently lead to different postpartum experiences they are so deeply connected you can have a cesarean and have a, a really positive postpartum it's not about that necessarily but that when you are feeling more empowered and more in control and more heard and what that can then take you into postnatal is yeah yeah it's hard to to describe and I would say as well uh, you know full disclosure here you know I'm talking that I'm coming from a place that was like right down here for my first mm -hmm. and it probably was just like a normal experience <laughs> I know that sounds probably quite bad but what because I could see the contrast of how it felt, of course, I'm going to be gushing about it because that's, I just couldn't believe the difference. That's an amazing thing to hear actually, that um, this, we've <laughs> normalized having a really shitty, shitty time. We've normalized high levels of anxiety, problems with feeding, um, postnatal depression, you know, we, that feels, really normal and I'm not saying it's not common but it's just and I wonder how that's become normalized because all of the shitty birth experiences mm -hmm. have also become normalized and actually one this is another podcast episode isn't it but yeah I just love how you verbalized that that like you were at such a rock bottom in one experience that actually maybe what you had was what we should all absolutely expect um you know, I, I don't mean to be glamorizing it because it is like, don't get me wrong, it was still hard work. I mean, you were still, you know, you were still vomited on repeatedly, got <laughs> on your stomach, there's breast milk everywhere. Like, let's get the reality You're in. Still bleeding, all of it. <laughs> and of it's course, what's you know, in here, isn't it? Yeah, you ha I had, my, you know, my two year old running around. It was one of the hottest summers. It, but, but, like I said, it's, it's not that I, I suppose I am romanticizing it a little bit because you know I can <laughs> and it's nice oh, to have that. we don't need we don't want to we don't want to be scared to 
rave about how incredible something was do we we don't want to go into that trap yeah no you're right it it was it was just it was just so much better than my my first experience and yeah I just the empowerment that I had from my VBAC and I would like to say also before we, we we stop when I say that I planned for a home birth after cesarean section I did actually transfer into hospital and I still had a really positive experience. And this is what I was saying about plans. You know, plans can change. I am happy with that because I made the decision. It was me who, you know, I I felt um, a bit of relief or comfort. Mm -hmm. Um, By the time I actually got there, But, you know, we, we can still have different experiences to what our plan A is and still have a really positive Agreed. healing experience. Oh, it, Agreed. It's just lovely. Wonder, I just love, I could listen to you talking about it for hours. <laughs> I can understand now why you say I can't stop talking about it. I just talk about it all the time. And why you've now become the back hypnobirthing. Um, it's wonderful. Yeah, I love, I love talking about it. Thank you so, so much, Lucy. It has been a joy having you as part of our do la la chat world. <laughs> and I genuinely think that this, your input and your impressions of everything and how you experienced it and your tips will be so, so helpful for people who are maybe even coming out of a cesarean and wondering what's possible for them or people who are partway through a pregnancy, well into planning a VBAC and everything in between. Um, yeah. It's that freely available information and stories that we all need um so thank you so much for giving us that no thanks for having me it's been (laughs) wicked thanks lucy no worries thank you wonderful so that's it for our guest episode on v-back um I was going to say VBAC, hypnobirthing, but just VBACs in general. But if you want any information about hypnobirthing for VBAC, then get in touch with um, Lucy. We'll put her details in the description for the podcast and then you can seek her out for fabulous VBAC knowledge. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Thank you. And we'll see you next time on Do La La, the podcast. Thanks for listening to Do La La, the podcast. With me, Leanne from Birthhood. And me, Meg from Birth Evolution. It's been great to have you here with us as we chat about all things pregnancy, birth and postnatal. We'd love to know what you think, so please do leave us a review. Follow both Meg and I on socials and share with your friends too. They'll be really glad you did.